war was lost, the treaty signed, I was not caught across the line, I was not caught, though many tried, I live among you, well disguised, I had to leave my life behind, I dug some graves you'll never find, the story's told with facts and lies, I had a name, but never mind, never mind. And welcome back, listeners, to another Legion podcast quickie. We are doing a run of shows, uh, currently looking at True Detective Season 2. We're up to episode number six at the moment. I am Duncan McLeish. I am one half of the, the fantastic duo um, who who battle each other weekly. Well, yeah. fortnightly. 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 Fortnightly, uh, two weekly, monthly sometimes. It depends when we can get a chance to sit there and talk to them. Uh, on Duncan and Bo, come correct. Of course, I'm joined by my illustrious colleague, Mr. Bo Ransdell. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing excellent. I just couldn't, uh, I shouldn't have jumped in on you, but I can't hear the word fortnightly without getting excited. It is, it's an incredibly exciting word. Um, and I think, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think more countries should adopt it. Even the ones that don't speak English should still just have, um, fortnightly in their lexicon. That should just be, you know, it should be mandatory, um, and, and it should be mandatory that they say it daily. Yeah, you, you should say fortnightly daily. I think that should be the motto of our country moving forward. Is <laughs> like I want to hear Obama make that speech from the Rose Garden. You know, <laughs> fortnightly <laughs> daily. Remember. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we have been uh, taking a look. Uh, uh, True Detective. Each week we've been going through the episodes. There are only two episodes left after this one, um, and we're, we're the end is in sight. But we need to we need to talk about episode number six, which was called Church and Rune of um, Rune. Sorry, as always, uh, Nick Pizzolatto was the writer. This one was directed by uh, this is a bit of a mouthful, Miguel Sapochnik. I think is how you pronounce his name. If it's not, I apologise. Yeah, not even, not even close. I'm Scottish, so that you know, I don't know what you want from me. Uh, but, like, I don't know at all. Uh, the guy has obviously he's worked on some TV in the form of Game of Thrones, but he was also uh, the director of a certain little film called Repo Men, which um, I actually quite liked. It was a kind of sci-fi. Don't know if you ever saw that movie. Yeah, Jubal so, uh, and Forrest Whitaker. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember thinking it was okay. Uh, I I don't remember being blown away by it, but I think that was one of those scenarios where I caught it on TV and it was just playing in the background and I wasn't giving it appropriate attention. But if you enjoyed it, uh, you know, it pains me as always to say this, but if you enjoyed it, chances are I will too. So I'll, I'll give it another day in court. Yeah. No, not not amazing, but as kind of sci-fi action nonsense goes, it's not too bad. It's not I like too bad I like Forrest Whitaker. That man did. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's Ghost Dog. And... Ghost Dog. No one talks about Ghost Dog. Ghost Dog is honestly, Ghost Dog is like, I love that movie. Really, I really love that movie. And it's no one's fucking seen it. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's probably my favorite Jarmish film. Like he's yeah. done movies that are probably technically better movies. Yeah, but Ghost Dog, I love the fact that it's got a great soundtrack by the RZA. 
Yep. Forrest Whitaker's amazing in it. It's this modern day samurai story with all the Jim Jarmusch you can stand. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, that's a great it movie. It really is. Oh, all yeah. right, Scrooge yeah. or Detective. This is going to be <laughs> the Ghost Dog cast from now on. <laughs> Where we just talk about how great Forrest Whitaker is in Ghost Dog. Ghost Dog, yeah. And his uh, pigeons. And his pigeons, feed the pigeons. Uh, Right, so, Church and Ruins, anyway. Uh, The synopsis is listed on the IMDb's. Desperate to locate a missing woman with intel about Casper, Frank meets with Mexican drug dealers. Annie infiltrates an exclusive inner circle with Ray and Paul keeping close tabs. So, yeah, this... this, um, for those that listened to the previous episode, uh, they will know that it finished on a cliffhanger that had me uh, sweaty-pammed uh, and that I had not a fucking clue where it was going to go. Um, Ray had found out that the the man he had, we can still assume murdered, um, it's never been explicitly said, but we're assuming murdered um, for raping his wife was not the person who was guilty of the crime, uh, they had filmed who that was a couple of months before and used DNA testing, etc. That man is now locked up. Um, his former wife now despises him um, and is is raking him through the courts to try and get custody of, uh, of his child. Um, and, of course, Ray thinks that Frank has set him up because Frank was the one that told him uh, that that guy was the man behind it. So this episode starts right pretty much where we left off. Um, and I'm just going to say I loved this sequence at the coffee table. I absolutely fucking loved it because we get the the good old Mexican standoff, although that's a joke later on in the show. We'll use it here as well. Um, so basically we have Ray... And we have Frank sitting at a table, both of them clutching their guns under the table, one hand on top of the table with a coffee in front of them. And um, they, they basically hash it out. And of course, once again, it's Colin Farrell not just uh, playing the role of a lifetime. I mean, y- you can literally, like, I think you mentioned that in the previous show, you can chart every single emotion that man is going through. Um on his face, and it is phenomenal to see. It's a joy to watch him act in this show. Um, and, of course, he confronts Frank about it. Frank tells him that... There's there's a couple of things that come out about this conversation, which I actually loved, but the first thing was Frank basically says, this information was given to me by someone else. I really the honour of... Ray obviously says, ah, yeah, you're trying to tell me that it didn't... You know, you didn't want me in your pocket to have the sheriff's deputy. And he says, oh, no, that didn't hurt but right, he cops to the like the upside for him, and he sees yeah. the angle. Yeah, but but categorically denies that he had that intention. It just worked out in his favor that way. Yeah, thanks to this dude. Which I mean, once again, is this this kind of thing about Frank, where you know he is a gangster, but he kind of has that old kind of gangster mentality, that gangster mentality which doesn't exist anymore. The old kind of Costa Nostra sort of thing, you know what I mean? Where he's, he basically, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, this happened here, but I'm going to tell you the truth. This is what happened. Um, and of course, Ray blames him for, for the bad turn in his life and all the rest. And Frank, like, basically tells him, listen, that was always in you. You just needed an excuse to let it out. And yeah, I gave you this guy's name, but I never told you to go and kill him. Um, you did actions which were inside you and that, you know, you let that out. Um, yeah, I may have pointed you in the direction, but I never held a gun to your head. 
Um, and of course, the, the two of them continue the conversation on. Um, and Ray kind of starts to soften a bit. Um, kind of starts thinking about how he can get the name of the person who has, you know, who had delivered that name to Frank. Um, yeah, and whether knowingly or not had set him on a path that led him to this spot where he is a uh, a fairly miserable human being all around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's... he's uh, we see it later on in the episode how off the deep end this guy can go. Um, but, yeah, so I... Uh, he starts relaying some of the information from the previous episode back to Frank, um, specifically about Blake and Blake's running girls and his connections and all the rest to these people in power, etc. Um, and Frank, being the ever opportunistic gangster that he is, says, listen, I will give you the name of this person, but you need to do a favour for me. You need to locate the hard drive. Now, for those remembering, Frank needs this hard drive to hand it back to Catalyst, so Catalyst will allow him to have land, so he can legitimately go uh, straight and uh, you know make quite a bit of money off this rail development. So, by the way, compliments for remembering the name Catalyst for the first time in yeah. our, our <laughs> retrospective history. Yes, the reason I'm, I'm now remembering it is because I think I think Casper is the catalyst for everything that's happened. So Casper's death has been the catalyst. So this is now how I'm remembering it. Catalyst. Casper's the catalyst, um, which is <laughs> mnemonic devices. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, like, it's like it's like that way when you're you're at primary school and um, you're you're you know, like in the early years of primary school and they teach you how to spell and they teach you how to spell words by coming up with quirky rhymes for them. And the one that always stuck in my head was vegetable. And uh, the way to remember vegetable was Vicky eats green eggs on the table. Um, so uh, this is how my brain sometimes works. Bo. I it can't like believe a... we're behind you guys in education. That <laughs> blows my mind. But Maybe maybe that's what we need to start doing. Telling our dumbass American kids. Remember, Vicky, Vicky eats. Was it Vicky green, eats green eggs on the table? On the table. Yeah, All right. vegetable. All right, I don't. I, you, may, you may scoff at this, but by by age eight, we're all reading Mark Twain. So, <laughs> all right, no, no, I'm not denying that you guys are as a nation smarter than us. That is not what's on the table here. It is just. You know, Vicky eats green eggs on the table. Come on. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, so as, there should as be a, more gunplay in that rhyming device. Is all I'm saying. There should be. There, there, should there be needs more. a. There needs to be a story. Yeah. <laughs> Why is she eating green eggs? Uh, but basically, what you get is I love this. The end of their conversation is that. You know, Ray stands up and he's getting ready to go, and um, you know Frank asks him where he's going to go, and he's like, ah, he's, he's going to wait to find someone to kill. Um, and as as he's walking out, Frank basically tells him that if he ever comes to pull a gun on him again, make sure that he doesn't see it. That, so that's not like, but the way he says it is not as like a threat to him. It's just that he knows that if if Ray ever decides that he wants to kill Frank, Frank doesn't want to see that kill coming. Um, and of course, Ray says back to him, you know, I really don't want that to happen. And then Frank says that great line about, yeah, me neither, because I think you might be, you know, my only real friend left. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Ray just says, well, you know, that's a fucked up thing. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't know? that be fucked up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which, I, like I say, the, the, the joy of this season 
Um, very much like the joy of season one was having those interactions between um, Cole and Marty. It's having these interactions between Ray and Frank, who are both very intelligent men. But and you can say that Frank is maybe more level headed than than Ray. But the, the the only time they really seem to be able to exercise that that intelligence, that intelligence muscle, is basically in the company of each other. I mean, Frank tries to use it in conversation with other people, but you always get that feeling that whatever he's saying to someone, it's going over the head of someone. Um, and Ray's the only one that seems to pick up on it. But that's basically we 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 finish that sequence there. Meanwhile, we're back at the cabin. Uh, where we found this chair which like you described it in the previous episode looked like something from Hostel um, and the DA shows up and she kind of wants um, she wants Paul and Annie to focus on their job and Annie's like this is linked, it's all linked um, so we, we have that aspect we also have uh, like we knew it was coming we've been saying this for a while, we knew it was coming Uh one of these sex parties is coming up. But what we didn't get right this time is, for some reason, maybe it's because we just, we just thought it was going to play into so much cliche. Um, Annie has talked her sister into basically giving her the details so she can go undercover. And we have this, once again, this teasing sequence of our using these knives in this, what can only be described as Steven Seagal from Under Siege um, style practice on a wooden dummy. As she's just raking this knife up and down all the different points and arteries, and you know, going to town, and um, we we find out that basically she's going to infiltrate this party uh, undercover, even though her sister tells her that you know it's a bad idea. They will, you know, this is not something you can't take weapons in here or phones. You're going to be around some pretty horrible people um, who are you know just used to having women around them that will just have sex with them whether they want to or not. Um, and Annie is incredibly dismissive of everything she says. You know, she has her goal, she's focused. That's what she's going to do. She doesn't want to listen to her sister because she's a policewoman and her sister's only an artist. Well, I, all right, two things about this. First of uh -huh. all, I cannot believe we were wrong about the sister going to the party. I yeah. feel a bit cheated. Yeah, I well, I actually like the fact that it didn't happen because it, it was exactly what you would expect out of that sort of police procedural. Yeah, she would have went to the party. The sister would have went to the party. The sister would have died, thus spurring Annie on even more to solve the case. Yes. Because she used her sister to infiltrate. Her sisters went there to protect the cop sister because she doesn't want her involved because that's not her world and she ultimately dies. That is exactly what you should expect. And yes, you're right. It did feel pretty fresh to not go down that road. Yes. Um... The other thing was, as soon as I saw the knives again, yeah, I, I had two thoughts. One was, uh, oh, we're definitely going to see those get used. Yeah. <laughs> and two, Duncan is going to be so happy. I was so happy. I was smiling. See when she was going to town on that window, I was like, that is happening in this episode. Like, they spent so much time focusing on using those knives. I was like, eh, it's going to happen in this episode. And FYI, spoiler alert for later on in this episode, it happens in this episode. Yeah. Um, and I think, this just, yeah. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I don't think that's the last time we're going to see that. Because that, that, to me, would feel like a criminal uh, mistake 
by the filmmakers if they had spent so much time setting up and that was the only sequence we got, but it was, oh, it was so worth it. Yeah, um, I, it was really good, but yeah, it, it felt like as much as much hay as we've made off of her and the knives. I need to see yeah. more than that to feel like we, we that was time well spent. You know what I Agreed. mean? Agreed. Agreed. So she's she's basically, she's working the angle of the party. Um, Ray's working the angle of trying to track down the women that pawned Casper's things, which led them to the, the kind of Mexican drug den. And uh, Paul, uh, who recently acquired a personality in the last episode, um, Paul is working the angle of trying to find out about these blue diamonds, which leads him to a conversation in one of the police offices where he speaks to someone about the LA riots and about a robbery that happened during the LA riots where these uh, blue diamonds were stolen um, he is then put in touch with the cop that investigated it he talks about these two small kids that were orphaned because their family was gunned down uh, by men wearing masks who stole the blue diamonds and these kids were put into the foster care system and of course, the first thing that came into my head, Bo, the first thing that came into my head is those are the people wearing the masks. Those two kids have grown up and they're seeking vengeance on the people that wronged them. So they are the ones in the masks who are going around and that's why Casper's dead because Casper was somehow involved and all the rest. And then I thought to myself, that seems like a bit of a stretch. Maybe so, but who, if only we knew of a character that had grown up in the foster system. Yeah, if only we knew. Uh, hmm. we well. knew. So, mm, mm. so uh, yeah, so we we have that. We then um, we then move to a a sequence where we have Puri trying to connect with his son with the the court appointed lady there monitoring them and of course he's trying to build a model with his son son is totally not interested oh yeah butter chunks so, has no interest in models whatsoever <laughs> so all all he wants to do is watch friends he's like that he's like i, I don't want to build these things because they kill people and he's like it's a fuck you know you can see in the back of his head he's what they say it's a model it's not a real plane uh, right, but I'm about to send your fat ass right out the window, kid. You put yeah. this model together. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's sunset, you know. It's it's a you know. I don't want to do this. It kills us when people. And Ray starts putting on the black gloves, and then remembers the courtroom and oh. takes off the black gloves. <laughs> that would be so great if he just slipped slipped his hand into his pocket and came out with those brass knuckles, like yeah, just like. I'll fucking show you. Well, I'll show you what's dangerous in this household, and it's not a plastic model, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> Starts going to town on the court appointed observer and like she's doing this for you, Chad. <laughs> because you're my son and I can't do it to you, but you put together that goddamn model right now. <laughs> uh, so the, the the basically it's awkward for everyone involved. The kid <laughs> yeah. wants to watch Friends re and probably one of the most condescending things some says is that show from twenty years ago. I used to have a girlfriend who watched that. So basically, saying this is for this is for women. This is not for 
young guys, young guys should be building death machines. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. and meanwhile, he's looking across, and everything he does, this court-appointed woman is writing something down. And, of course, he starts making a bit of contact with her, verbalising with her, and um, she keeps re- reiterating, you do not you do not speak to me. You, you do not engage me in conversation. I'm here as an observer. And, of course, things just go horrible, and then we cut to a scene where he's chewing down big massive slabs of pizza. His son is, not not Ray. And Ray's got a beer in front of him, and uh, he tries to once again speak to the woman, and she's having none of it. And he basically tells his son that regardless what comes out in the future, regardless what's said, he's his dad, and, you know, you know, he's, you know, the kid is his son, and that is all that matters, regardless what anyone else says. And of course, as soon as the court appointed woman is out there with his son, he comes walking in with a bottle of Cuervo, uh, tequila, um, mm-hmm. a bag of of cocaine, which Julie gets set up. It's like a mound of cocaine, mm-hmm. which then gets set up in the lines, and he starts shotgunning uh, tequila and rifling up as much cocaine up his nose as possible. Has himself a Tuesday, as I call it. <laughs> a bow Tuesday, um, you know. So yeah. the music's on. He starts like a bit of fist pumping in the air. He's obviously at one point he's grabbing his heart. That's what happens when you do copious amounts of cocaine. You fucking psychotic bastard. Um, and he starts like, like so he, good though. Yeah, it's <laughs> start, he's just like knocking back the, the the tequila as if it is water. Um, and then he looks across at the models. And then we cut to him phoning his ex-wife. And basically, he says to his ex-wife that he's not going to contest custody. The only thing he asks is that she doesn't do a paternity test. Which she then says, it's not for the kid, it's for me. He makes her promise that, regardless what the results are, he will not, she will not, sorry, tell the son, one, where he came from, to anything else other than the fact that Ray's a dad. Meanwhile, we've seen what he's done to his apartment, and uh, how, how would you... He's kind of redecorated, Bo. Yeah, yeah. I would call it uh, sort of explosive decorating, um, <laughs> where you just start tipping over shelves and swinging yeah. things around. Yeah, it's... Like, to me, this is the scene where Ray makes peace with the animal inside him that yeah. you, you hear about in the beginning, where he basically decides, okay, I'm going to cut ties with everything that keeps me grounded and normal. Yeah. And from here on out, it's just going to be Ray, who is beholden to no one, except maybe Frank, and even that it has a big question mark above it right now. Uh-huh. Um, and he certainly has an allegiance to... The, his his fellow officers and i when we get to the end of this i think you know the show makes a big point of saying there this trio is now in it together yeah um but uh yeah yeah it's a it, it's a great scene partly because colin farrell is uh once again acting his ass off and doing a great yeah. job um it's also really bittersweet because it's a guy who has been doing nothing but trying to get himself straight so that he can have his son in his life and trading that experience of being a father so that he can at least be remembered as a father as a father yeah yeah i think that's and once again powerful i i, I mean i i really am enjoying 
the the character development that is now going on in the show. I mean, a lot of the issues that I had maybe two episodes ago, specifically about character development, um, or lack of for certain for certain characters. I feel like we've passed the Rubicon now. You know what I mean? I think we're at that stage now that that's not an issue. You know, they they, they give us. They're still giving us backstory to everyone other than Paul. We're not getting any backstory for Paul at all now. Um, in fact, there was very little development moving forward from the previous episode to do with Paul. Um, however, I would, and I'll come to it later on, um, it's starting to make sense why why the Paul character is there, especially when it comes to the, the basic the infiltration on the house. Um, and his usefulness then starts to, like I'd said earlier on, is um, that if we don't get a satisfying backstory or satisfying character development, or even to an extent satisfying acting from from the Paul character, the reason I thought they would have someone with former mercenary ties in this show would be to do either gunfights or to really take the action forward and he is the character that is doing that like i say we'll get into that but frank um is he's you know he's trying to track down this girl um and in classic frank you know as only frank can do um and he's struggling at the moment he really is kind of struggling with this idea of trying to go legit and people thinking he has made the move to go legit and trying to basically delve back into this world as a gangster, as a criminal uh, and having the the aura about of, of someone that's dangerous and not to be fucked with. Um, and they kidnap um, some sort of Mexican drug guy who was involved loosely with the group that blew up the building um, and they ask questions about where this girl is. And uh, he, at first, does not agree. And they have this kind of handheld nail gun thing, which I've never seen before, but it looked cool. And I kind of feel like I need to own one now. Uh, not for the reasons they used in this movie, obviously for DIY. Uh, but they nail the guy's hand to the table. Uh-huh. Still won't say anything. The next nail goes through his shoulder blade. Um, once again, he's kind of still not saying anything until Frank lifts some money out. Uh, and at first you kind of think he's going to pay the guy off, you know, like here's the money to take off. But that's not what he says. He takes the money out and says that the next nail is going through your eye unless you give me the information. And the guy tells him of this house. Uh, I forget the name of what he called it. But um, he tells him that th- that would be the place that he wants to go. And Frank obviously leaves the money down and he's walking out. And he basically says the next bit's really going to hurt, which is basically the nails being taken out of his body. But the camera cuts away um frank and crew descend on this house and they kick the door in there is no one there and then all of a sudden some mexicans with guns come in and these were the mexicans from um two episodes ago who appeared at east casino and basically said that they had an arrangement with the former owner of the casino to run drugs through it and frank was rather rude to him basically said well more than rather rude to him that is such a polite way to put the fact that he basically (laughs) told him to get the fuck out of his club you know that whatever deals they they had previously are null and void because he's the owner now calls the assistant cisco you know basically just being as condescending and rude as possible yeah which uh kind of comes back to biden 
It does just a little bit. So um, they come in. Frank agrees to make a deal with them. If they can track down the women for a face-to-face meet, um, he will allow them to run drugs three days a week through his club for the first year at no cost. Uh, They would renegotiate at the end of the first year. They find a woman who then phones Frank. Frank obviously desperate for a face-to-face meet. At first, she's not so keen. She tells him that she got the the stolen Casper stuff from a police officer, a white police officer. Um, and of course, Frank then says, if I bring some photos down, will you go through them? You can bring your friends with you, you know, if you want to feel safe. When he arrives to basically meet her, the, the, the comeuppance, as you said, was that the small psycho henchman had slit her throat basically from ear to ear. Um, and she's dead. And of course, this visibly shakes Frank. Um, and even so much that one of his henchmen has to kind of say, you know, Frank, you know, that's so he can get himself back together. And um, they basically say, we heard her say that she talks with the cops. And that's why she's dead. And um, he's now in business with these drug people, which he didn't want. And he's got information, which is no use to him because it's a cop, but it could be any cop. So Frank is kind of looped back to this scenario of he now knows that there is some sort of setup but has no information on it other yeah. than it's a cop right and that's you know kind of what we've sort of suspected uh for a while that there are ties in the police force to you know this overarching conspiracy and stuff but yeah they, um i do really like the moment in the scene where he does kind of lose his his shit for a minute yeah. As he's looking at this girl. In fact, I, the line is something like, you know, just him asking very matter-of-factly, like, why did you do this to the girl? Yeah. You know? And it, it it's a very devil's bargain kind of response of like, hey, you wanted to see her. Well, you're seeing her. Yeah. You know? Um, so I like that move on the part of the, uh, the Mexican cartel that he is in opposition to. Um, I like that sort of getting your wish in the worst possible way sort of scenario. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, it, just another episode where every time Frank looks like he's going to maybe edge his way into uh, positive territory, somebody just kicks him in the teeth again. And uh, yeah. I'm starting to he's feel bad within, for him. Yeah, he's always, within, he's always within touching distance, and then someone moves it slightly further back from him. And, uh, yeah, I, I do feel sorry for him because, yeah, he's... I mean, has Frank other has Frank actually done anything bad that we've seen on screen? I mean, aside from yeah, aside from being a business owner who traffics in the you know frailty of others with you know drugs yeah. and prostitution and and that sort of thing. No, nah, I mean, you know, as we've talked about before, he he's sort of that criminal with a conscience. Um, yeah, yeah, he's done some bad things, and and certainly isn't. He's not the kind of guy that you would want to be close friends with. No. Because of the, the, the sort of circles he moves in. But as a character, yes, he's very he's very sympathetic up until the eventual reveal that he's the killer. Um, <laughs> when my theory will be vindicated and I will be crowned winner of True Detective. Oh my god. Yeah, because he's... Um... Because all the violence he's done are to criminals. You know, he's, yeah, he's not actually, he's not hurt an innocent yet um, in the show that we've seen. 
I mean, obviously, to get to that position, I'm fairly sure it must have done some pretty horrible things to some horrible people, but um, or even some innocent people. But at the moment, you know, I, I think that's why you kind of feel sorry for him because here is a guy that is genuinely trying to turn his world round, is trying to make a future for himself and his, you know, his partner, um, and. He's been screwed by someone. If if anyone in this scenario should have been the legitimate person, it should have been Casper, because he worked for the government. You know, he's he's the guy who's paid by the public to make sure that thing. You know, Casper's the Casper is um, the the civil servant. He's you know the the he's not the criminal, but uh, he is the criminal. He's he is he is squandered. Frank's money, um, and you know Frank doesn't have anything to show at the end. So Frank has basically had criminal activity done to him by someone who I think, on some level, he didn't think would do that. And I kind of think that's why I, I think it's one of the reasons I feel sorry. Obviously, his backstory um, is obviously it's leading to that as well. But yeah, Frank's left in not the greatest position, and he still doesn't have the hard drive. Um, meanwhile. Annie uh, is uh, is dolled up. She's ready to go. She enters a bus and is taken to a compound, the very nice sort of kind of hillside villa mansion, um, where there's a party going down. And um, oh, before we get there uh, to the party, because I mean that's obviously the big centerpiece of this episode. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to point out that I, I dearly loved in terms of just a nice subtle touch. Uh, so this is all going down very shortly after Ray has had his apartment, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, what, like I said, what I call a Tuesday party. And so when he shows up to kind of help Paul and Annie with this, you know, infiltration of, of this party, yeah. um, he is chewing gum like a madman. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it is hilarious because it's that combination of, He's got some cocaine still running through his veins and also trying to cover up the smell of booze on him. Yeah. And I, I love that the show is consistently smart enough to either Colin Farrell or, or Pizzolatto or the director. Somebody had the, the, the presence of mind to think like, look, remember, you're still pretty cranked right now. Yeah, the continuity for the characters is really good. Yeah. And it's, it's what you would expect from a show called True Detective. Sure, the, sure. Yeah, that's what you would expect. And and they, they, they have done they have done a great deal of making sure that, that that's the way things are. So Annie has a tracking device on her in her shoe. Um and she's been taken away at this mansion. Meanwhile, uh, both Paul and Ray have followed uh, to this compound. And um, as Annie's inside the compound, there are a lot of security guards walking military style around the building with uh, semi-automatic weapons. And Paul is just taking them out like a, like a fucking ninja. I love this a sequence where one of them is is kind of walking in and all you hear is like the running the feet. And next thing he's like basically rugby tackled the guy down and got him, you know, like he's he's got him in some sort of headlock till the guy passes out and then they're out with the what you would class as the the kind of military mercenary style thing so it's all these cable ties and you know parcel tape and all the rest basically taking care of the guards yeah annie meanwhile is on the inside and and i oh i cringed when i saw this absolutely cringed when i saw it there are 
martini glasses full of Viagra. And um, the first thing I said to my wife when this popped up on the screen is, this party's going to be a lot of old dudes. Um, this is going to get a bit gross. Oh, I thought and, you uh, were going to say, this is us in 20 years. No, no. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a walking Viagra tablet, Bo. Fucking, the wind changes and someone's getting it. Um, so <laughs> that, may, that may have been too much information for this podcast. Edit, edit, edit. Uh, so, yeah, so... Um, but all the women are getting this. What at first I thought was like a, a mouth, like kind of fresh mint spray or something. And you find that there's some sort of drug, which you've got to assume is some sort of acid or LSD uh, compound of some description. Yeah, like ecstasy mixed with, I don't know, what was Cosby using? What do you, oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> what do you call them? Disco biscuits. That was the, <laughs> yeah, that's the Bill Cosby name for Quaaludes. You see, boo! It's like... Uh, <laughs> was that your uh, Bill Cosby? Yeah, I'm Scottish. All right, well, you're asking a Scotsman to do a black American. We'll edit that out. That's that's basically <laughs> that's basically that's basically like asking a Scotsman to go to the moon. It's unlikely to ever happen, <laughs> uh, like like ever. Um, yeah. So anyway, the I thought my Cosby was alright. It's not great. It's, it's gotta be better than like ball. That was kind of oh, your. Oh. <laughs> No, it's it's just a little good. Give me a pudding um, pop. Say pudding pop. I I don't even know what a pudding pop is. You don't have to know what it is. It's his nickname for his penis. But uh, (laughs) so a pudding pop is just a frozen fudge ice cream bar. Why would people eat that? Because it's delicious, Duncan. It's pudding. (laughs) It's frozen pudding on a stick. What about that doesn't sound wonderful? Everything. (laughs) <laughs> All right, well, I was going to call you un-American, but that's not quite the insult that I need here. Yeah, that's right. You you throw that you throw that at me. I will take it. Yeah. Take it on the chin. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so meanwhile, meanwhile, um, like I say, Annie's now been spiked with this um, hallucinogen, uh, which some people are obviously taking it. Well, some people are taking a happy high here. Annie, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Is not, and you know how I keep mentioning, like in previous shows, that there's a there's a Lynchian quality to this show. They, they nod quite heavily, and it's not yeah, because you have said that. It's, yeah, it's not because it's just shot in LA, um, and that's Lynch. That's Lynch territory. Um, it's, it's because they have done specific things that I'm like, oh, that feels like Blue Velvet. Oh, that feels like Mulholland Drive. Um, we have wondered. Why Annie left her dad's, uh, I want to say cult, but that's maybe commune yeah. is probably better. Uh, we have wondered this, and we have wondered why she is so uh, knife happy, why she trains so much with knives, and why does she keep saying, you know, that line about um, being surrounded by 50% of uh, the population who can overpower her. Um, seemed like a line where I was like, yeah, but that seems like quite extreme thinking for a police officer. Um, it's kind of explained here. It's kind of explained in this episode that she was molested. She was molested by a guy, uh, and uh and my 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 lynch, my lynch vibe went off. My 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 lynch, my lynch uh, sensor started ringing quite big at the sequence because she is taken upstairs. She recognizes someone at first. I'm assuming it's a police officer. And meanwhile, by the way, little Vince Masuka, the guy who's 
uh, been elected to Casper's old job, who was one of the DAs that was looking at the corruption, is at this party. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a brief shot of him. So the, this, the DA that's trying to do the investigation is pretty much right. She said that there was something wrong with how quickly the whole investigation was swept under the rug. But she's getting taken upstairs by this this guy who is chatting away to her. And of course, her high is not going well. When she looks at him, she sees a very scruffy looking man with long hair and a beard bob from twin peaks yes yeah at a weird angle and that's bob from twin peaks i'm sorry that is bob from fucking twin peaks the way he was at the angle and all the rest and of course the lynch alarm went off and i was like oh my god bob like to put people in uh, the know here i grew up watching twin peaks and bob legitimately terrified the fuck out of me like Bob was the scariest thing on TV, and there's a particular sequence in Twin Peaks where Bob comes crawling over a couch towards a camera. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, that gave me nightmares. That gave that gave me nightmares. That that was absolutely horrific. Um, and of course that you know the lynch alarm goes off. But let like, me, oh, I, I gotta ask yep. you, what does the lynch alarm sound like? Is it like a hey? That's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's like, hey, and then it involves him trying to sell you some of his very fine, delicious coffee. Right. Hey, want coffee? <laughs> That's actually a really good one. It's, it's not terrible. It, give me give me time, Lowenstein. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Bob, did you get that as well? Did you oh, totally. Bob? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, as soon as I saw, like, the wild hair, and like you said, just the angle that it was shot in and everything, it looks like... I. I I would like to see the, that frame next to Bob from Twin Peaks side by yeah. side, and I bet they would be pretty much identical. Yeah, and it was it, it was brilliant because it got the exact effect it, you know I wanted, which was the hair on the back of my neck stood up straight away, and I was just like, oh my god! I, and of course, I like it. The back. Oh, yes. No, I was gonna say I like how it was shot and all. I thought the reveal of this you know, history of molestation. Yeah. I, I felt like it was a little ham fisted. I, you know, it seems like, yes, we'd had some hints about it here and there. Yeah. yeah. But there's part of me too. That's like, I, you know, I get it. True detective. The, all of these people have had terrible, miserable lives. You know, I I don't think, yeah, I just don't think any needs to be molested on top of having, this father that ran a commune that I don't, I don't know. I felt, I, I almost felt like it was a bit much in turn. Maybe, maybe they didn't have to, do you think it would have been more effective if we had seen, you know, the Bob face and all the rest and just had that creepy line about, him, you know, wanting to take her into the woods to show her the unicorn. And then we didn't see anything else as opposed to the, next sequence which is basically him taking her to one of these uh vw vans these camper van things would that be enough for you do you think they just played the sequence too long or is it just the idea of the molestation which you think is too far yeah i think maybe that's it or or the way that it's presented on the show in or the the fact that we've had so little direct indication of something like that in her past although you can go back and see well, well that like, makes sense. Yeah, right. That stuff kind of makes sense. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, I do enjoy this scene quite a bit. Uh-huh. But the molestation stuff in particular, I was like, ugh. You know, I mean, it's just, I, 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 I just want somebody 
on this show to have had like one happy memory as a child. You know, like I wish somebody like if if Annie right before this had been like apropos of nothing talking to Paul about her childhood dog, you know, like I love that dog. By the way, I think I might have been molested, but let's get back to the dog. Um, yeah. you know, just something to to lighten the mood a little bit cuz it's just like every scene in this in this episode and and not just this episode, but every scene where we talk about any character's history it's never good, you know? Um, yeah. And I almost wish we had that, that Woody Harrelson character once more in this season of who's yeah. just like, yeah, you know, some, some people just have picnics and eat fried chicken and everything's okay. Like some people lead normal lives and still turn out to be terrible people or have awful things happen to them or whatever. Um, but anyway, I don't want to go too far off topic with it, but yeah, I, I just feel like, the molestation it's it's not surprising maybe that's the thing that bothers me it's just like well of course she was molested i bet yeah. she has cancer too well because yeah because because <laughs> it makes and the whole thing makes sense because yeah why is she so viciously training with a knife to protect herself against men why is she so sexually aggressive with the cop that she was seeing that that ultimately put the complaint in against her because they were doing some kinky shit that he didn't seem like he was totally comfortable with. Um, you know, why, why is, you know, why is she drinking so much? And, you know, all you know why, why, all these traits that she has now make perfect sense. However, if you had asked me what had happened, you know, a couple of weeks ago, what do you think happened at the commune that she was staying at that's caused her to be like this? I would have probably said she'd been molested. And that is, is, that is probably the most obvious thing to think. And maybe on some level, them giving us the reveal of that, but then going maybe two clips too far on it, like really driving that point home. Yeah. This guy fucked her. You know, like really, that's kind of what that scene is. But maybe that is being a bit too ham-fisted um, and subtlety may have paid off I, I don't know but she is tripping balls now sure. and um, she's lifted a knife as well from downstairs and of course when she lifted that knife I said to my wife I was like oh we're finally going to what's going to happen yeah, there, there had to be a countdown happening on that couch of like hands clenched together like it's going to happen <laughs> yeah. honey it's going to happen oh I couldn't wait so yeah so she's she freaks out where the guy kind of, she now sees the guy as a rapist. She runs to her back room. She forces herself to be sick to try and get some of those drugs out, but that's not really working. And she finds her missing woman, the woman from episode one that she originally was charged to find. She finds her um, pretty much wasted in a corner. She lifts her, tries to take her out. And as she's walking out, the old guy grabs her hand. She very, very quickly, with about three punches, like, like a karate chop, puts that old guy down. And then a security guard comes across and grabs her by the throat to lift her. And she does the quickest. It's like the, it's like the what's it, the five-finger exploding palm technique from Kill Bill. It's kind <laughs> right. of that. It was that fucking quick with her hand movements. And the guy still got her up. And I'm, I'm looking at the screen going, Oh, she stabbed him, she stabbed him, she stabbed him, she stabbed him. And then the blood starts to come out the bottom of the trouser leg and it starts to pull. And um, he basically is looking at her, I don't know what you've done to me. And uh, yeah, she, she she fucked him up. She killed him, basically. Yeah, she, she bleeds like... him out. Yeah, just like she said she would. She bled him out yeah. in under a minute. Yeah, which is, like once again, 
that's the bit I've been waiting for, Bo. And I, I think Rachel, I would never have considered Rachel McAdams before this show started as being someone that could be like, like an action star. And yes, yeah, she's not an action star in this, but that one small sequence was very, very convincing that if she wants to do action, I'd probably watch it. Um, she was pretty badass. She grabs the woman. Meanwhile, um, our, our friend Mister Mister Ray and Paul have been outside, uh, disabling guards, and they come yeah. across Shh, sleep now, guards sleep. Yeah, <laughs> sleep. Uh, <laughs> so like <laughs> the, the, the the takedowns are getting even more elaborate. They're no longer just rugby tackles. There's or, there's like, a babality at one point for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Paul Paul's walking up and saying, "Look, Elvis." The guy's turning around and he's choking him out. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, right. it's, it's went to this level. Your shoe's untied. Um, and uh, so basically, <laughs> they come across this room. And in the room, we have the Russian kind of mob property tycoon guy that was originally making a deal with Casper through Frank uh, is chatting with the guy from Catalyst that we saw earlier on. And they're sitting at a table. And um, they're talking about the, the, the sum of twelve million, which is going to be paid directly to buy more plots of land. And the Russian guy basically comes out and says, you know, like you know, like basically like how you screwed Simeon out of his money, referring to Frank. And um, I kind of thought we're finally going to get an answer out of this, but no, they whether to save face or not said no that was Casper that did that so once again Catalyst might not necessarily be that guy from Catalyst that says listen we never got your money maybe they were actually telling the truth but they put this ledger in a drawer and of course Paul being like crack ex-military marine mercenary sort of guy he's kind of Sly Cooper in this scene yes yeah, yeah, he, he unlocks the window with a knife and then unlocks the drawer with a knife, um, steals the paperwork, gets back outside just as a guard's coming around. And I love the, I love the difference in the, the, the takedowns of guards between Paul's method and Ray's method. Like Paul's method is tackle them down, put them in a sleeper hold, chalk them out, then you know, put the cable ties on them, put the tape over their mouth, that's him disabled. Ray's version is um, slightly more... Uh, Barroom. Uh, yeah, he runs across, runs up to the guy, hits him with the, the, the butt of his gun, and then continues hitting him with the butt of his gun. And you, the camera's off, and you can just hear one, two, three, four, just like... And then the camera pans around, he's still fucking hitting this guy with the butt of his gun. Um, uh, yeah, I, so... I like it, too. Like, their difference in fighting styles is sort of the difference between the way, say, an eagle soars through the air, a la yeah. Paul, yeah. and the way a bat flaps around in midair... <laughs> Desperate to stay in flight, but somehow manages to do so like Ray. It... <laughs> he he he's so like Ray's like you forget because you, you, there's a vulnerability to the Ray character, and then every episode just likes to remind you he's a vicious bastard, <laughs> right? Like Ray, if he hasn't murdered someone already, he's gonna Ray is gonna oh, yeah. lose his shit on someone before this yeah. season is out. Someone will die at the hands of Ray, yeah, and not like in a gunfight. Like Ray will beat someone to death. I hope it's Paul the... or Chad. <laughs> he will beat them to death with his own with their own shoes, just like Wayne's World too. You know, <laughs> you know like, uh... I, I I just came up with my favorite new theory of how this show ends. It turns out that Chad was the puppet master all along. 
<laughs> that, you know, he learned about his parentage, you know, too early and has yeah. just l lost his mind. I don't know why he would go after Casper, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe Casper had a nutty buddy in his pocket or something. <laughs> and Chad was like, look. That delicious blend of peanut butter and chocolate belongs to me now. Casper says no. Chad flips a switch. And the next thing you know, it's... it's... Flips a switch, gouges out his eyes, shoots his dick off with a shotgun. Yes. Gets the nutter butter. <laughs> Naturally, because that's what the crime is about. Yeah, gets the nutter butter, which now sprayed with fucking Casper cock. <laughs> but... but it's got a wrapper on it, so he takes the wrapper off and we're good to go. Yeah, yeah. All right, so... It's either, all right, so my theories uh, for those keeping score at home, and as always, please, no wagering, um, is Vince Vaughn as a psychotic split personality nutbag, uh -huh. or Chad, who just gets hungry. <laughs> and I can relate to that. I could go for a chicken salad right now. Let's just hope Casper doesn't have one in his pocket. <laughs> right. Um, oh, God help him if he's got some blue cheese dressing on that thing. <laughs> so, so um, meanwhile, inside the house, um, Annie is uh, is now taking her, her um, would-be missing woman uh, down the stairs, and she comes running out just in time to bump into Paul. Paul tells him that... Um, Ray is getting the car. They run down the hill, being chased by security guards. Um, Ray arrives just in the nick of time with a vehicle. They all get in the car. They start driving down the road, and they pull onto the main road and drive away. Cue the credits. Um, Bo. Yes. What did you make of episode six? Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I think I probably liked the previous episode a little more. Um, uh -huh. I think this had a lot going on. You know, I my biggest problems with this episode is we have this really good, you know, final sequence set in this uh, this mansion with this big party. Um, it reminded me, it, it was almost like if David Lynch had directed a party scene but was trying to imitate Roman Polanski. Yeah. It was sort of the camera style and the way that the, the there were particularly from Annie's point of view, filters over everything. So she, she never could focus on anything. Um, mm. So I liked all that stuff. I, I do worry that I, it felt like some of the things that were being revealed to us in that party scene um, were a little easy, maybe. And maybe, uh -huh. maybe it's the molestation thing. I, I think my problem, though, as I've been thinking about this and and not listening to what you were saying about this show, um, <laughs> I'm I'm sure it was fascinating. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, in thinking about this molestation thing, what really bothers me about it, and I think maybe I pinpointed it, I think it's that it seems like the logical thing, like if you've got a troubled female character. Uh -huh. What what problems will she have? It's either going to be rape or molestation. And I guess it just feels easy. It feels a little lazy, I think. Yeah. Um, so I have a little bit of a problem with that. I still don't feel like Paul does anything in this episode aside from throw a sleeper hold on a couple of people, which I'm yeah. for. I'm all for sleeper holds in, in more movies and television. Um, <laughs> in fact, if any criticism has been levied against me, it's that I talk about that too much. <laughs> so, 
But uh, overall, I you know, it was really entertaining. The the scenes with Ray and Frank are really the highlights. That's, you know, that's kind of when I get out the popcorn and get excited. Yeah. Um, that's really good. The, the Frank storyline was good. I really enjoy seeing Ray, um, you know, kind of go off the deep end emotionally. And yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that payoff. Um, I hope Annie gets to stab more people. That would be great. Mm-hmm. I did like that scene, though, I, and I really do like the way that it developed and in, in, when you see the pools of blood spreading around this guy as he's getting weaker and yeah. just can't figure out why. Like, what did, what did you do? Um, so, yeah, I on the whole, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was one of the stronger episodes of the season, for sure. Um, you know, like two... Five and six are probably the best episodes, I think, uh, so far. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, it it was good. It's still just not... We haven't gotten that one episode yet that's like, this is a level of perfection like season one. And I know we keep saying we're not going to... We can't hold it to that uh, particular bar. But yeah. come on. I mean... Uh, Really? And where's David Morse? Where's David Morse? <laughs> well, I, I think we're going to see... I think we're going to see him next yeah. episode. I mean, well... The, in fairness. Yeah, the the thing I, I am really interested in is it seems like now we have evidence, we have this file that Paul's gotten hold of that we can start pulling at all these threads and seeing who's yeah, really Yeah, full of names. I think that's what he's put... Names uh, and signatures, is, yeah. Yeah, names and signatures. So now we have we have the entire web of who is involved with this particular catalyst deal um and these are all big names and it's going to be you you can see where we can see where the show is going we just don't know one who the vigilante killer is yet um chad Chad, obviously um just like that checky's checky's wastebasket for nut or butter wrappers right it was chad God damn you, Chad. <laughs> I would love for Ray to have that reveal. Like, there's a broken piece of the model or something at a crime scene where he's just like, oh, Chad. You know, it's and like... you get that Colin Farrell transformation sequence where his face goes all rubbery as he's about to cry, and then he's mad, and, you know, then he's hungry for another Butterford a minute, too, and then he's yeah. back to angry. He... He got like he's he's sitting he's sitting there and he lifts up his coffee cup and it's not Kobayashi that's written underneath it like uh, and uh, usual suspects it's just yeah. Chad right. Chad made them a mug Chad made them a mug uh, like when he was in primary he'd like like carved his name in the bottom of it he lifts up like that and someone goes Chad and he's like oh, and the cup drops to the ground in slow motion and goes everywhere and he runs out and Chad takes off his fat suit and he's revealed to be Kevin Spacey who doesn't limp either and goes in a car and just like that bo. He vanishes. Oh, God. And the coffee cup, you know, would say world's greatest dad, question mark. Oh, see, see, see if Chad is Kaiser Sozi. That could be the best reveal in television history. If Yeah, if especially if the, the next episode plays it straight. <laughs> and then episode eight is it begins with Chad in an interrogation room. <laughs> So tell us, Chad, why do you think you're here? <laughs> yeah, oh, it would be so good, so so good. But what? So what? Did, I, I know you said uh, in the upfront that you you enjoyed this episode a lot. Did you have any 
any little niggling problems with it, or did you feel like just cover to cover it was strong? Uh, I thought this was, um, to me, this is probably my second favourite episode thus far of the season. I would agree with you, uh, episode two is still my favourite. Um, I, I still really like the full, the full way that the episode was constructed. I liked how much after watching episode two, I enjoyed episode one. It gave me that new lease. When you watch the two of them back to back, it just flows really, really well. Um, episode six, six, sorry, probably comes in as my second favourite. There are a few things that I, I kind of feel that we're still, whilst we're getting some information, basically this, my, my biggest gripe with this is that we seem to be doing a lot of stuff for very little information episode on episode <clears throat> so in the case of this episode we had to go through um infiltrating uh you know a, a party which is being held um to get some bits of paper with some names on it if i mean if you pull everything else that happens out in the episode away that's you know it, there's there are things that are thrown in there there's obviously the jewel theft is one potential thing the girl who's been tortured in the hut or or man who's been no it's a woman because they said the blood was female uh, who was tortured in that hut i mean you you strip these aspects away basically this whole episode resulted in them getting the the ledger um which feels like when your show's running for 55 minutes it feels like there's not a lot of investigating going on from three detectives who are running three different investigations, you know, or sides of the investigation. And that's maybe my only gripe. The the stuff with Annie, yes, it was very predictable. Didn't bother me that much. Didn't bother me that much. I probably I had the blinders on because as soon as I saw quote unquote Bob, um I was like giddy. I was like, this is so fucking amazing. Bob. Uh, like you know like just totally captivated by that side of things and how like you say, I, I would love to see someone do uh, a superimposed picture of the two because the angle is spot on, and I, 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 you've got to think that's completely deliberate, and uh, that's one of the reasons I love this show. Um, <clears throat> out with that, I loved where Frank's character went in this episode. Uh, him kind of getting his just desserts for being a bit of a dick to those Mexicans earlier on, and once again being so close to having an answer. I loved the the conversation he had with Ray at the beginning. I thought that was a great way to start the episode. And we had, well, you specifically complained about that anticlimactic nature between episode two finishing and episode three starting, like it built up to something, and then everything was just shrugged off. In the case of this one, the two of those characters having their conversation and ultimately... Not friends, but understanding they need each other for the time being felt normal to me. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like it was like oh my god, really? He's t you know you think he's tricked you, and all of a sudden you're you murdered because of this guy, and you're just gonna walk out the door. Um, it kind of felt like there was that understanding that Frank is gonna give him that information, but he needs to do something for Frank, so they still need each other, which I liked. I thought that that felt like a good. It felt like good pathos to the the build up from the previous episode. So yeah, it was satisfying <clears throat> for sure. Yeah, I I, yeah. I I did walk away from that scene feeling like they had earned everything. There were emotional stakes. Like you know, like I said at the end of uh, the last episode, we did um, feeling like the uh, the cliffhanger that we reached at the end of episode five had more emotional and character stakes than actual like dramatic narrative stakes. Yeah, yeah. And and so when 
you know, your big payoff is a very tense conversation filled with all these little character beats, then, yeah, that's perfectly satisfying. That's exactly what it... Kind of what I want out of True Detective all around is yeah, that stuff. Yeah, And, I mean, they gave us... They finally gave us Annie attacking someone with a knife, which was uh, gold. Loved right. it. Absolutely loved it. But the one scene I held back, Bo, because I like holding back a scene... You do. Discussion, you're, right? you're a scene sandbagger. Yeah, uh, and it's possibly my favourite scene of the entire episode. Was Ray paying a little visit to the jail and having a little sit-down conversation with a rapist. Not a therapist. The rapist. The rapist. And he sits down and speaks to him, and within these first couple of sentences to the guy, knows that that guy is, from from a reaction or something in the guy's eyes when he describes the scene of what had happened to his wife, Ray knows. And then Ray kind of tells him what's going to happen to him and it involves skinning him with a cheese grater starting with a guy's dick and then cutting his lips off cutting his nose off and then cutting his balls off but not killing him making sure that he stays alive because he's going to face life in prison and then standing up and walking away and the guy basically saying I didn't do it I, you know, I, I don't know you who are you and Ray saying to him that uh, you didn't know what was it? You didn't know that you knew me, or what yeah, was it exactly? yeah, it's it's you. You know me. You didn't know yeah. you knew me. Oh, you know but me. You know me. Yeah, and I thought, oh my god! And once again, Colin Farrell is the the swings and the emotions of this character are huge and handled with a lesser actor would come across as forced but he just does it effortlessly he changes his character goes through the emotional ringer week in week out and it just all flows and just he was brilliant in this scene absolutely brilliant in this scene and once again a, a swift reminder every time you start to feel sorry for him that this guy this guy is violent he has a violent past, and he will do things to get the job done, or do things because he wants to do them. Um, and him walking out and leaving that guy basically terrified in the prison. And I mean, you if you're a rapist, you're already terrified if you're in prison. But, um, you know, basically leaving that guy with that thought, you know, that, you know, I don't work for the police before, but I used to, and I can come in here when I want. And I, you know, I have that, sh- I still have that reach, even though I'm not a cop now. Um I thought it was wonderful. What, what did you think of uh, the, that sequence? Yeah, no, I, I really liked that scene quite a bit. Um, for most of the reasons you described, Colin Farrell is really good at it. You know, I, at the end of this season, I'm just going to watch In Bruges. That's, uh, oh, that's, that is yeah. the lesson of True Detective Season 2, is everyone should watch In Bruges more. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably his finest performance, I think, ever. And I think it's... It's a testament to why I love the idea of someone. I love the idea of when the casting came up for this. I love the the fact that the knowledge, firstly, that Colin Farrell can do that sort of work, so they give it to him. I also love the the gamble they took, so to speak. I don't necessarily think it's a gamble because, like I said before, if you look at Vince Vaughn's early career, the guy was doing diverse stuff. He just got a bit lazy. He went for easy money. But I love the fact that they've given him the opportunity to step up. And I love the fact that the critic reaction to the character has been great. 
And it's been sometimes a bit woolly in terms of his dialogue. Not the way he's delivered the dialogue, but the dialogue. But um, for the most part, you know, he he's getting the attention that I think he, on some level, deserves. I can't, what I hope is that when True Detective is over, the job offers for some more serious roles comes in and he accepts them, even if it means he doesn't make the same amount of money that it would for making Wedding Crashers 17 or fucking the Internship 5. You know what I mean? I, I really, what I want to see him do is some more serious work because the guy can act. And I think the fact that you, you're feeling all these things for the Frank character is a testament to how he is portraying him on the screen. Um, I think he's, I think he's, I, I, I delight to watching this, and like you say, I totally agree with you. The highlights for these, sh- the, these shows, every episode, uh, has been a conversation between the two of those characters sitting down. Two actors I would never have put in the same, the same program, ever. I would never have put Colin Farrell and Vince Vaughn in the same scene for anything. Um, and then you sit there and you kind of think to yourself, oh, why have they not been in the scene before? I mean, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, that's a given. Those two are very close friends, have been in movies before. That that makes sense. But those two characters, you know, or sorry, those two actors, doesn't make sense until you see them acting off each other and then it, it makes complete sense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think... It, I, I think the scene uh, in in the prison's really strong. I, I most of the scenes in this episode are really really strong. Um, yeah, you know now we're at a we're left at a place where it feels like we're just gonna start hitting revelation after revelation after revelation because we've got we've got the girl in the car who's probably seen plenty of things even if her memory isn't great uh, yeah. after extended drug use. I mean. I don't know anything about that, Duncan. I don't do drugs. I don't associate with the, those who do. But uh, I understand that long-term drug use can uh, have effects on the memory. Uh, well, she's the one that sent the pictures out. She sent the pictures out and the 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 brochure. Yeah. Um, out in the mail. So you've got to think on some level she is cognate enough to to know what she is doing. At that point, whether or not the repeated drug use, like you say, is kind of fried her brain after that. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're spot on. The if we follow True Detective season one template, which this has kind of tried to stick to on some levels, because you can almost map out sequences between the shows that are almost paced sequences, and them um, episode seven is going to be the bit where the crux of the police work is going to be done and episode eight is going to be the reckoning. So now that I have these names, like you say, the next episode I think is going to be a revelation after revelation of exactly how the Chizanis uh, were involved with Casper, who were involved with... Um, Catalyst. David, and... Yeah, and David Morse's character and uh, the, the weird psychiatrist fucking plastic surgeon and how that tied back in to the russian mobster and all these things all these threads are going to get tied up into um into a a proper through line into episode eight and episode eight like we like we say is, is going to be the reckoning because these are all people of power and you're dealing with three cops who are going to have to take down people in power and i don't know if they're going to be able to do it i i i think even even when you think about how season one finished, and it did finish on that hugely optimistic note and all the rest, yes, 
they took down the person that had been killing uh, the, the the girls. Yes, right. they took down that, but, that killer. But they didn't take down the Tuttle organization or anyone involved with it. Right, so. the, the power structure remains in place because that's that's what's going to continue to happen, you know? Yeah, uh, and that's kind of where I think this is going to go as well. I think we will find out who our killer was of Casper, um, you know, right right or wrong in terms of what how, what they did, what Casper did to deserve those actions. Um, I think we're going to sort that out, but I think we're going to sort out probably... Some of the some of the, the the more clear like Blake as a character, for example, um, probably the Chisani's son, but I don't think Chisani will suffer. I think it's just his son that will suffer. Yeah. So you know that sort of thing. I think the, like you say that that kind of the elder sort of power class will remain at the end of this season, um, and it'll probably be business as usual. Um, I think that's to me that's one of the cool things about True Detective is that. That that's how life is, uh, you know. What I mean, that's not fiction. That's real life. When bad shit happens, the person at the bottom takes the blame, and the people at the top seldom do. So, um, I like the the idea of the show kind of going that way. And yeah, I think the next episode is going to be the episode that I have wanted since this has started, which will be the very heavy police investigation, tying up all the threads, starting to make sense of a lot of these unanswered questions that we've had throughout the. The, the previous six episodes and bring it into a line where we will move into the, because remember the end of episode number seven of the first season, we got the reveal of who the killer was. Yeah. Um, and then we were like, oh, right, one episode left. I think it's going to run the same way. The end of next episode, we will know who our masked killer is and we will know kind of where that episode is going. I think once again, like we'll, I've talked about in the past, uh, kind of summing up this episode uh, but uh, and talking about in the past in terms of my percentage enjoyment of this show um, it's, it's back up about an 80 if I'm being honest um, the fact that we've had a good couple of solid episodes 5 and 6 especially um, back to back I've kind of raised my interest level again that I we both resigned ourselves at the beginning of this show I think that this was never going to top season one and and kind of nor should it i think season one operates on a level which i think it's unfair to think any television show is going to be able to occupy for a long time it's going to be the next it's going to be the next show that we don't see coming that's going to do that um we have ridiculously high expectations for true detective season two which like if you're a recording artist your second album's never your greatest album it's because the second album's awkward album because you kind of want to branch out from doing that first album but people want to hear that first album again so True Detective Season 2 feels a lot like that it's given us that it's, it's basically moved completely away from the esoteric stuff that was given us at the beginning and it almost feels like uh, Nick Pisolato has put that in at the, the first couple <coughs> couple of episodes just for a continuity of theme between season one and season two uh, to get the people in and now he's kind of stripped it back out and he's doing a more kind of a dark police procedural set in LA um, and I think that we expect so much from this show that I, I think is maybe I mean even putting it by standard show like your standard TV show if this was a show I'd never heard of before and I watched season two, I'd be watching a season three. Oh, sure. You know, sure. I, there's, 
yeah, there's, it's, it's not it's not sullied the water, but living in the shadow of season one um, highlights to me episode to episode why it just reminds you why that season one is so great because there there was very little if any weak links at all in season one. There are plenty in season two and they're pretty obvious. Um, and we've said that at the end of this, there could be something that happens at the end of the show that the next time I watch it, I go, my God, this is genius. All the way through it, they had me thinking the whole way through this that Paul uh, was, you know, a boring character and he was a killer at the end, or, you know, Frank was a killer at the end, or whatever. You know, they really pulled the wool over my eyes. They sent me in. That they could do that at the end of this show? I don't think they are. I right. think it's going to be. Jordan was a ghost the whole time. Yeah, I think it's going to be something... Ooh. No, she can't be a ghost. Yeah, no, she's interacting. I thought about that too. I was like, yeah. oh, did she yeah, yeah, I thought to For her? a second, for a second, I thought Ray never spoke to her. She was in the... Frank said he was alone and she was in the bedroom, but then I remembered that that guy that almost bought the casino knew her and flirted with her quite blatantly. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's so many there's so many ways of how the show could end and I'm looking forward to it. And yes, I think I think on some level you could be right. There's two kids that were put into... When were the LA riots, Bo? Uh, you know? Yeah, it was in, uh, I want to say, early 90s, if memory serves. Like, 91-ish. Uh, let's assume... Let's say he was 12. I can't remember how old. I think they said... No, he would have been 8. The girl was 4. The boy was 8. Um, so let's say early 90s. You're talking... Early nah, he's too old. He's too old to be the kid. Yep, 1992. I have uh, confirmation from our uh, team of researchers. <laughs> so he can't. He can't be the kid that. He can't be the kid from the 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 family who who were robbed. He can't be that. But that's not just. Uh, yeah. Which would link back into my Paul theory. Yeah. Or just... Which I still think it might be. I, I, I keep going away from it. I keep thinking it's stupid. But then I, I come back to this idea of why is Paul in this show? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of question marks hanging over Paul's head for me. And, and one of my big questions is, why the hell are you on this show? Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope we get to a place with that character where it feels worthwhile but I, even yeah. now, if they reveal, like, oh, he was the killer, he has this association uh, with, you know, Casper and all this stuff that happened in his past. Even then, I don't know that I would be real happy with that, though, because yeah. then it's like, well... It feels, yeah, it feels like they could have done more with it previously instead of just doing it. It's a Scooby-Doo ending we've talked about before, where you see the guy at the very beginning of the episode and he turns out to be the master criminal at the end, and you're like, well, uh, Why? Yeah, but why have a mystery where you you you're never going to guess who the person is because the uh, he has been so beige throughout most of this show that to reveal him as the ultimate mastermind behind something or the 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 vigilante who's who's going out to take care of people that killed his parents or whatever feels like I should have I should have seen more before and the, the the episodes so yeah i would i would find that quite lazy as well I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't be happy about that i at the moment don't have a clue who that mass killer is um i know you think it might be frank and that still might be the case that i love that idea the kind of split personality i really do um we just don't know it. but 
Bo, we don't have long to wait. Next week, I reckon at the end of next week, we will know um, who it is. Uh, I can't wait for that. Join us for episode seven, The Rise of Chad. The Rise of Chad is clearly Chad. Chad has been behind all. And that's obviously the name of this episode, The Rise of Chad. (laughs) Uh, uh, I, that's yeah. that's my uh, true detective the, 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 slash the, fiction is gonna the, be Chad. The, yeah, the, the 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 chubby Chad rises. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. If you noticed, have you noticed? I loved I loved when you earlier on compared uh, Ray to a bat in terms of how the there are certain moments where Ray's been talking that he's kind of doing Bale as Batman. A little bit, I yeah. That you did this to me. And I'm like, oh my god. And that was my bail doing Batman, by the way. Swear to me. I gotta, I gotta like, tell you, it's better than your Cosby. You see, Bo, I'd like to talk to you about some of the things you said in my show. Uh, that's better. Now you just sound like if Cosby had a stroke. Is it not? Uh, That's what I'm going off. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's just oh, a rapist. Right. My, my bad, my bad. Alleged uh, rapist. I worked on my non-stroke version of him. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. So that, I think, I think that wraps up this episode. Of course, we have some things to 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 mention right at the end here. Obviously, like I said at the start, myself and both. If you listen to us for the first time on episode six of this one. You should have listened to the previous five. But uh, myself and Bo have a show on Legion Podcast Network called Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Um, each episode, myself and Bo pick a genre. Um, we pick a movie from that genre the other one has not seen. And then we we decide between ourselves who had the better suggestion or who, in fact, came most correct. Um, and... Uh, there will be a new episode of that coming real soon. We just dropped one, uh, which was pretty fantastic. In fact, I'll go as far as to say possibly one of my favourite episodes we've ever done, Bo. I think that is crazy talk. Um, I would... Yeah, I, I still... To me, the gold standard is still the incorrect episode from last season because it was just so ridiculous. And uh, But... So if you haven't heard season one of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, I would encourage you to do that. Um, yes, but uh, yeah, the, this season uh, we we have talked about uh, foreign films. Uh, we did uh, mm-hmm. a pair of French films, um, and uh, we talked about love the last yes, time out. Did. And next time uh, we're going to be talking about sort of the opposite of that. And yeah, it's uh, yeah. The, it, it, I have been as usual surprised that there are films of this quality that continue to escape me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the show is a great opportunity to play catch up and, or, uh, just discovery on, uh, on some movies that man, I, I dearly love now. And, and, and in fact, on the next episode, we will be discussing, uh, a pair of movies that I have, uh, discovered. I like almost as much as one another. Uh, oh. yeah, yeah. I really, you, you had a good pick, uh, this time around. We'll see how it all shakes out, but, uh. Uh, you know, spoilers, Burt Lancaster is in it, and Burt Lancaster I told is you. really, really good. I told you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to that, and that one will be coming out real soon. Um, these episodes, we only have two left um, of the, the True Detective ones, um, and thank you very much for all your support. Thanks for the feedback we got. We got some feedback through from a listener um, on the, the website, the Legion Podcast website, um, who had clocked a couple of things we'd maybe miss said, but, uh, I, I, um, well, I think of, more you than me, but yeah. 
I, I was about to say I thought it was the other way around, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, thank you very much for that feedback. If anyone wants to to let us know how they're getting on with the show, crazy theories. Remember, you can do that directly on the Facebook page for the Legion Podcast Network. Um, you can do it underneath the threads of these these episodes directly on uh, the Legion Podcast webpage. It's legionpodcast.com. Um, or or you can uh, tweet us at um, at Legion Podcasts um, to leave us your comments there. Uh, and yeah, remember check out all the fantastic shows over on Legion. There are tons of them. They're all putting out fantastic uh, content at the moment. We've got new shows. Um, Black Anna yeah, who have just dropped our first episode, which is pretty stunning. And the guys from um, the podcast. Uh, on Haunted Hill um, have just put out oh, the most fantastic Bava episode that people need to check out it's absolutely brilliant so tons of stuff um, but Bo would you like to say anything else before we say bye to the, the ladies and gentlemen out there uh, yeah I would I would uh, certainly echo the thanks to everyone listening and also don't sell yourself short here Mr. McLeish uh, that recent uh, episode I don't know, if you're not familiar with uh, Duncan's show, The Podcast Under the Stairs, uh, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, uh, there is a recurring series under that umbrella uh, where the Baz uh, watches horror films and recently did Nightmare on Elm Street 1, 2, and 3. Um, yeah. If you like, if you like to hear uh, the glory of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, uh, celebrated, I recommend the show and also because the Vaz I think is particularly hilarious on that outing. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's the, he has a way with the words. He does um, indeed, so uh, but yeah, th- thank you very much and and, and definitely uh, check out those shows and uh, podcasts under the stairs uh, for sure That's there is a Trevor, treasure trove of back episodes of that show now and, and it's been really really fun to see that evolve. Oh, thank you very much, man. Uh, right, we're going to go out of here before we just start sucking each other off. Um, right, so... I would never <laughs> do that to a man that did such a poor Cosby. <laughs> well, that was my, my impression of Cosby was with a cock in my mouth. So that explains how bad it was. I take it back. Uh, I take it all back. <laughs> He can still. I could still make it what he was saying. He's pretty good. Um, yeah. So uh, until we we speak to you next week for more True Detective, please take care of yourselves out there. Bye, everyone. Bye. Chat rules. This has been a Legion podcast. Ooh, quickie.